other words, they told me that they were suspending me under clause 9.1. Post Michelle in Canada. Post Michelle. Post Budget to ensure financial stability amid rising costs of everyday living. You have to tell us more about family finance. In today's world, listeners are complex and multidimensional, and it's a little cumbersome to toggle back and forth from channel to channel trying to get your fix. We feel your podcast should be just as diverse as you. Welcome to Fred Talks where the topics are as layered and multifaceted as you are, with a dash of inspiration and a little bit of an edge. Hey, welcome to another episode of Fred Talks, the catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B., and I got an episode today that's going to undoubtedly ruffle some feathers, but you know what? I'm here for it. I caught up with my guy, Dante Morrison, and we talked about everything for a couple of hours. We talked about life, death, Life after death or what some would deem as a death sentence. We talked about uh, sex, homosexuality, uh, HIV being diagnosed with a HIV positive status, navigating religious spaces in that context, dealing with microaggressions, uh, activism, healthy versus toxic masculinity. I mean, we talked about it all, y'all. And so I want to share all that with you. But first, you know, I got to give you these ground rules. This probably doesn't need to be said, but of course, we're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice, counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hardware, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that their perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us. Unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Fred Talks. Dante, my man, what's going on? How you doing, fam? I'm good. How are you? I don't know if you remember this, man. Um, but right when I reached out to you, I was like, dang, how did I cross paths with Dante? Because, I mean, I know you. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying this, like, facetiously. But I know, you know, you're moving around, man. People know you. you you're a big name right. out here. You know what I'm saying? So I'm uh, like, I, I don't know him that. just okay. from. Yeah. So I don't know you just from, like, you know, you being a face. Like, I like I met you face to face. And so it came. It, yeah. it, 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 I was reminded that uh, my first introduction to you was you were ministering at a Pentecostal church mm-hmm. in Lancaster, California. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe it was a youth revival, right? And bruh. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Man, I was so taken aback, man. Um, it, you know, you were relevant. Uh, your message was uh, palatable, um, coupled with, you know, you were animated, you were authentic, you were personable. Um, and I was like, you know, we got to have them. Because at the time, if I'm not mistaken, I was, at my church, I was a youth pastor, and I was like, yo, right. you were. we got to have him come come through and do that same thing all over again in this environment. You know what I mean? And, and you delivered, man. You delivered, you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Appreciate yeah, it. I do it remember it was, it was in Lancaster. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, a, a night service <clears throat> yep. uh, for a youth conference or something like that. Yep. I, yep. Remember, and... I remember it. I remember it. 
Yeah, and I remember um, I, I don't, they didn't give me a hard time, but when they were like, you know, why do you want to bring him on? Like, what's his what's his lane? You know, you know, they uh-huh. were kind of sitting on the edge of their seat, like, hold on, is he gonna is he gonna slip up? Is he gonna say something that we got to give a side eye to? And All right, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you navigated that space so masterfully, man. You, I mean, you were still re- re- relatable. It. Yeah, relevant. You tied it into the word. And then you gave us practical solutions, and you brought it down to where youth can get it. I mean, and that's that's a skill in itself, man. So, right, I was right. Like, Yo, now that's definitely yeah. a skill. Yeah, and I know that. Yeah, most most people kind of shy away from the you know the subject matters that I've discussed and educate on, but it's important because if yeah. we don't talk about it, our our kids are going to learn stuff the wrong way or from the mm-hmm. wrong you know outlet, and we got to stay in control of that. What you know? Uh, what what is too early? to have the conversation or is there a such thing as too early? Like I got a six year old and a five year old. Uh, uh-huh. So as you know, if you were just kind of schooling me, if we were offline and you're like, you know, uh, you should start talking to them, you know, about uh, safe sex, uh, uh, HIV advocacy, all these different things. I mean, maybe that's over their head. Maybe that's too abstract. I don't know. Uh, or maybe I'm just not skilled enough. Maybe I need to, you know, improve my skill level. When should I even start having these type of conversations with my own kids? Not, so I'm not talking about as a youth pastor or anything like that, but just at, at my own house. I think that it's, um, it's, um, it really all depends on the, the child. I mean, most parents yeah. know their kids, and some kids are, are more advanced than others. And what I always tell parents is you don't have to dive in with just the, the raw <laughs> gutter conversation with your kids. Just kind of, right. kind of gauge where their kid is at, just kind of yeah. gauge and, you know, just see that's, where they're at and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That but I sense. don't think it's any uh, particular, cause I have done, I've done talks with kids that were like seven and eight, you know, who have been kind of advanced, you know, and then some who would just look and be like, Oh, what are you talking about? So it really just depends on, on the, the culture of the kid yeah. and what they're raised up in and what they're exposed to. But I do tell parents to, you know, monitor when you give them kids your your, your cell phone and your tablet. Talk about go over mm-hmm. there and sit down and be quiet. You don't know what your kids mm-hmm. looking at. Right. Right. Yeah. Facts. Facts. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself because there's so many questions I wanna wanna ask, but I want I want to build up, man. I want to build up because I'm gonna hit you with a surprise that I did not prep okay. you for. But it's gonna be all okay. good. Just, just just trust me. So. So I met you back then. I would say it's about 10 years ago because I wasn't married uh, at the time. I was probably dating my wife. And so we're coming up on 10 years at the time of this record, right? So since meeting you then, since you uh, did your thing there and then came and to the church I was serving at and did your thing, we've remained like loosely connected, you know, because of Facebook. Facebook is connecting everybody. Um, and uh-huh. from that time to this time, bro, you have not slowed down. You're still grinding. Um, and just to give listeners an idea of how intense your grind is and how passionate you are about, you know, the work you're doing, uh, let me just run off a snippet of, of, of what fills your calendar. You are a social change advocate, I mean, excuse me, a social change agent, an HIV advocate. You are the author of The End of the Rainbow. And let me park right there and just ask you this. So finish this statement for me concerning your book. You should read this book if what who should read this book if you want to if you want to really get a a a different take on same-sex relationships and understanding what can go on in the same sex relationships outside of just what you believe happens 
it's a definite eye opener. And it talks okay. about the commonalities that people feel just dealing with love. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. You are also the podcast creator and the host of uh, the Dante show going on three years, right? Or, or coming up on four years. Mm-hmm. Four years. Okay. Wow. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You are a veteran. And uh, which branch of the military did you serve and how long did you serve? Air Force, bruh. Air Force. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. I was in the Air Force for four, for four years, just four years, four quick years. But I served okay. right when um, I served during Desert Storm, so I was there. Hey, salute, man! Thank you for your service, sir. We appreciate you. For sure. Um, for sure. You are also a licensed minister. Now you don't mm-hmm. have to you don't have to name names if you know that's going to be an issue. But are you associated with a certain camp or denomination, or would you prefer to just kind of leave that off the table? Uh, I'm full guy. I'm licensed on okay. the full gospel. Okay. How long you been preaching, man? Um, you know, you, people when you grow up in the church, people even preach as a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, true, true. But officially, like I was licensed in 2004. Um, okay. but you know, I, I grew up in the church. So mm-hmm. when I didn't know I was preaching, people said I was preaching. I just thought I was yeah. testifying, you know, or just mm-hmm. sharing the mm-hmm. gospel. But no, I was preaching. But yeah, officially mm-hmm. licensed in 2004. Okay. Okay. Um, and you were recently named uh, in HIV Plus magazine as one of the top 20 most amazing HIV positive people of 2018. So congratulations. And what does that acknowledgement mean for you? Is that significant and, and, and why, if it is? It's, it's, it's very significant because there's a lot of people who do the work that I do. Um, and go unnoticed. There's a lot of leaders out there that are just trying to educate folks about HIV and STDs and lower the rates and all that kind of stuff. But they just go unnoticed. And I've been doing this work for so long um, that it was really humbling when they reached out to me and just to say that, you know, we, we see what you're doing, recognize what you're doing, and we want to honor you. I mean, it was it was a huge deal for me, something just to put, you know, put a feather in your cap and say, well, hey, yeah. you know, finally. 2015, yeah. you know, one of the top 20, you know, in the nation. It was great. It was great. Yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, my last thing. So if, if all of that was not enough, you are also currently pursuing your PhD in global leadership from Pepperdine University. Man. Yes, sir. Bruh. <laughs> on, so, so, on top of that. Right. <laughs> so what cave or what basement are you in? Like just doing work because you because you ain't getting out and and having fun, man. You just work 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 right. work. Sound like, man. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, I still I still work a nine to five job. Man, um, I still work a nine to five job. I still I manage a youth program at an HIV nine uh, nonprofit organization. So it's just I I do a lot of stuff. I work with the youth at my church. You know, help out with the youth ministry there. You yeah. know, I host a I host a um, open mic every third Sunday of the month. You know, I'm I'm always mm. on the go, but some kind of way I make it happen. I, I make it happen. So, so we don't want to endorse any particular energy drinks, but uh, I would imagine you you keep energy drinks in the car. You like coffee is your thing. You doing something? I mean, something <laughs> actually, I you actually I hate I actually hate coffee. What? I hate coffee. I do I do not like coffee. Don't I do not really? hate coffee? People around okay. me like you want a cup of coffee? No, I don't want no coffee. 
I just I just go. I think I think because I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah. I stay motivated. Yeah. You know, I can, if I, I was doing imagine. something I didn't want to do, yeah, I'd probably you know be be doing all kind of other enhancements to keep me going. But what I do, I mm-hmm. love you know, I love helping people, working with people, talking to people. You know, especially youth, and just seeing mm-hmm. that that light bulb come on, like Oprah says, the aha moment. I just yeah. really appreciate that. You know, so. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't take a lot to get me motivated because my life is motivating. Yeah. Because everything that you're doing is congruent. It's not like your life is compartmentalized. You know what I mean? So you can live, you can bring your full self to every space that you're occupying and that you're serving in. So I can imagine, yeah, it's not draining. Like I I can imagine you show up and you get a second win. Like it just keeps fueling. And, and, And so before I was going to have empathy for you, but I was like, nah, he probably, he probably likes it all. So, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Exactly. So, so because they're all intersecting and they're not compartmentalized, um, you can't take one hat off. Like it's you, but is any one particular role out of the ones we just talked about, um, like more fulfilling, like when you, you know, like if, if something, if you have a bad day, which one of these venues kind of helps console you or, you know, kind of helps you, uh, you can escape, there, if you will. Escape is probably not the right way uh, to explain that. But uh, like for me, going to the gym is like an outlet for me. Like no matter how bad the day uh-huh. is, I can go to the gym or I can come home. Uh-huh. You know, I can retreat home and play with the kids. You know, wh- uh-huh. which one of uh-huh. those roles does that for you? So which one of those roles is my therapy? Yeah, there you Perfect, man. See, 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 that's, that's... <laughs> hey, see? I was like, yeah. That's why you're the top to 20, totally man. You know how to specifically say it. To be totally honest, none of them, none of them mm. are in my therapy. Not a one. Not a one thing okay. that I do that's in the vein of everything you listed is my therapy. My therapy, in all honesty, is watching Ratchet Reality TV. Hey. Hey. <laughs> what? That, that's what? Man. No. So loving don't tell it, me you love hip hop. No, loving hip hop. No. Love and hip. Yes, yes. Come I, on. I, 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 I binge. I binge watch it on repeat. I watched episodes <laughs> I saw before. <laughs> Man, yeah. I, I love it. Come on. I, lo- I love all that. I love all of it. And, and Here I, and you I, are. I like it. I like it because it is the polar opposite of my day to day. That makes it's sense. The polar opposite. Yeah, it is that something that I don't. I don't. See that kind of ratchetry in my in my day to day life. So ratchetry. So to watch these people make millions off of acting a stone fool is completely yeah. entertaining to me. You know, now yeah. I'm not saying it is the best representation of black people or, or Latino. I'm glad or you followed it up with that. It, it, yeah. It's simply not. It, it it is it is, you know, ignorance at its highest. Yeah. But for me, it is my escape because I'm in yeah. such I'm always in spaces where they're for the most part life and death you know when i'm when i'm educating people i'm really trying to help save their life and try to just you know shift the way they they do themselves or sex and all that but to watch love and hip-hop with no kind of base no kind of premise no kind of purpose no reason to be on tv it's an escape for me no i get that i get that you know that that makes perfect yeah, I think that between um, uh, Love and Hip Hop and Law and Order reruns, I'm, I'm a happy person. Okay, okay. I can and sing you know Law and Order all day. 
when did you get into law and order, man? I mean, um, as a child, did you grow up with that? Or, I mean, did you just kind no, of stumble across probably about, probably about about 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Okay. Well, I thought I, I like the original. You know, there are like seven different iterations of law and order. So the original mm-hmm. was when I was hooked on the original when it first came out, those first seasons and all that. Then it evolved into SVU and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, some of them were cool, some of them wasn't. But now I'm just I just watch them all. I just sit and just watch them. I don't care which one it is. I'm I'm looking at it. Okay, okay, all right. Um, this this is good, man. This is good. I want to. You already helping us warm up to you and and really know the person. So not just like a product, like you got your book, and not just uh, the profession, but you're helping us to see who is the person. I want to ask you um, what I do with all of my guests. I ask them a um, a uh, icebreaker question, totally impromptu, okay. and okay. I use this to help us to get insight even further into who you are without having to like interrogate you. You know, just one question to kind okay. of crack everything. So with this question, okay. um, if you could have a superpower, no, I don't want to do that one for you. Let me see. Let me think. Let me think. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm going to ask you one that I asked somebody else, but I think your answer will be interesting. Um, if you could sit down and have lunch with any person, living or not, celebrity or not, who would it be, and why? Where would you go for lunch, and what three questions would you ask them? So I'll recap. I'll restate that. If you could have lunch with anyone, living or not. Celebrity or not? Now, if you say somebody that's not a celebrity, just bring us up to speed. Tell us why that's significant. If we don't won't recognize them, uh, where would you go for lunch? And what three questions would you ask them? Oh, what the, what three questions would I ask them? Yeah. Ooh, that's that's the that's the good part right there. What three mm-hmm. questions would I ask them? What three questions does Jesus count? Hey, it's it's your world, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. I would I would sit down with Jesus in the flesh, in mm. the flesh. Um, if he was here today, I would take him. I, I would take him to Starbucks and just sit <laughs> in a Starbucks. Really, just sit you in hate Starbucks, coffee, but you, you take know. Jesus to Starbucks. I, yeah, I would sit in Starbucks, but I do love frappuccino. You know, okay. Hate coffee, okay. but I love good frappuccino. Yeah. I would sit frappuccino with Jesus. like a dessert. Um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I would sit. I would I would ask him. I would I would really ask him. You know, first of all, which I would ask him which parts of the Bible, you know, are truly, you know, I don't want to say man-made, Uh-oh. but missing the, the most misinterpreted. Uh oh, are we going there? Because we got. I mean, go, go there. there. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. Which, which parts are the most are the most misinterpreted? Yeah. I would ask him that. I would ask him who is really going to heaven. Mm. You know, just okay. so I can have clarity. Who who is really going to heaven? And then okay. I would ask him. Then I would ask him, how did he really feel on the cross? Okay, um, I wasn't prepared for you to go that deep, bro. But but this well, is good. You, hey, listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but since we're here now, what would that do for you? If he told you, if he clarified the prerequisites, or if he said, "It's this these group of people are actually going." to heaven and these mm-hmm. people are not what okay you walk away from that conversation now lunch is over what changes for you now that you have that information or does anything change you just have closure or peace of mind or would you move well, differently now? it would it would shift it would shift the way i 
I don't want to say argued. Mm-hmm. It would shift the way I understood people mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and, and challenge their thought process. Because mm-hmm. I, think that, I think most people would stick by a belief, even if it's wrong, and even if the person that said it's wrong told them that they are subscribing to, that is wrong. Yeah. They would still say no, it's right. Absolutely. Facts don't matter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's all about, you know, what we've been conditioned to believe. And I think yeah. that level of conditioning is what has become the most damaging thing in current society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I, um, can I throw one more in there? Of course. Okay. So, so he tells you the answer. What if his answer is everybody's gone? Going to heaven? <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be shocking. <laughs> because, because, and, I, and I would want to follow up with a question, you know, then why do we have a hell? What if his see? I, I, let me let's, let's, let me back. Let me like, let me reverse out of this whole theological quandary, man. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get stuck here because because we'll have to have you back and have a theological <laughs> you want a part two? Okay. Yeah. 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 Let me stay focused, man. But that's good. Okay. I mean, that's, I, I, that's just good. Switch, I just switch people. I just switch people. I ain't got to sit with Jesus. Oh, it's up to you. It's up to you. Okay, well, give me another one. I I'll see what I'll see what Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Okay. I was just, and I and ask, and I want to. I, I want to ask. We will, we will go back to Starbucks. We can okay. go chill in Starbucks. You know, because okay. it's uninterrupted. You can sit in Starbucks for hours and be unbothered. You go to a restaurant. It's always somebody come back. You guys okay? Yeah. You guys okay. You know. Yeah. Um, I would sit there. I would ask him. I would ask him, was it worth it? Do he feel it was worth it? Hey. All that he did. Because, and, and I say that because as, as, you know, a person who looks at ratchetry, you know, <laughs> I look at, look at ratchet TV and then I look at films like Selma, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, I can't imagine Jocelyn or Stevie, you know, trying to cross the Edwin Pettus Bridge, you yeah. know, and being true and going through the struggle. Because there's, yeah. there's such a level of privilege that a lot of these um, reality stars operate under that it makes you question. You guys really know that you're only on TV because of people like Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I would, I would ask him, how does he feel looking at current society, a current black America, you know, mm-hmm. racism aside, how white folks treat us aside, looking at the current state of black America and how we treat each other. Does he feel, mm-hmm. does he regret going through all that he did, giving up mm-hmm. his wife and children for this freedom cause, you know, you know, it's interesting that you that last break. See, at first, my mind was saying, of course, he would not regret it. Is what I was thinking because I think when you when you when you live fully like that, just okay, like you have given yourself over to this cause, and I don't know that I would think that you are not doing it solely for the outcome. Like, like, okay, here it is. Paul says, "Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel." Like, he's like, mm-hmm. I could even be getting paid for this, but if I don't do it. Like, it's going to be to my detriment. So I right. just got to do it. Like, or Jeremiah, you know, it's like fire shut up in my own. It's like, I tried to be quiet, but I just could not. And so I think if you even tried to be quiet and tried not to be an advocate, you couldn't. It would mess you up. And I think the same thing for him, it would mess him up, no matter what the outcome is. Like, he just, you know, he was compelled. He was driven to do it. You know what I mean? But if there's any type of regret, I, I wonder though about the children, wife and children. Like I remember bowing to myself. I remember I, I, my mentor, uh, pastor Carter, man, 
he goes so hard uh, in ministry. But I remember looking at how he, he gave, he poured himself out, man. You know, and I was like, man, when uh-huh. I have kids, though, when I, when I have kids, I got I got to I got to back out, man, because I can't right. have children growing up. Not that his children grew up resenting it, but I wasn't willing to risk it. I don't want my children to resent the work that I'm doing, you know, trying to help everybody else and not at home. I'm, and that's no shade to him. I'm not saying that that was the outcome with him, but. You know, you can look at it and see, I wonder if it's going to play out that way. His kids love him. They're doing well. So, again, I'm not – this is not really about him. This is about the vow that I made because of the conclusions that I made in my mind. You know you know what I'm saying? No, I, I totally so, get it. I totally get yeah. it. Totally yeah. Get it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you would ask him, um, was it worth it? Um, what does he think about the current state of black America? And was there one more? I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That 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 was the fight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Man. Woo. Man. Okay. Now we can start the interview, but but dang, the interview didn't start already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Okay. So so let's see. Let's talk about the work. Um. You already talked about how none of the roles are really therapeutic for you. You already talked about how they all kind of intersect. Um. How did you get to a place where you wanted to educate others? Because it would be easy for somebody to have this defining moment, come to a realization of, of what's going on in their own life, and just have to wrestle with that and finally get to a place of peace with it and be content and not want to go and help anybody else. So what made you kind of want to come about of yourself and help other people? I think because, um, honestly... Because I grew, I grew up in church, um, and a lot of what, a lot of what I went through, um, I'm not gonna say on the negative, but a lot of my teachable moments were a result of what I learned in church. Okay. And I was not, I was not allowed to, I was not allowed to, to live, for lack of a better yeah. word. You know, I grew up extremely religious, basically so deep that everything you did was, was hell bound. No matter what yeah. you did, you were going to go to hell, you know, and that's how I grew up. And it's, it's kind of tra- traumatizing um, mm-hmm. when you're in the, when you get thrust into the world, you know, I go off to the military after spending my whole life and adolescence in this, this silo of religion. Then I walk yeah. to the real world or the big mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. it's a culture shock to be around peers yeah. who did not have the same um, Christian beliefs, religious mm-hmm. beliefs, spiritual beliefs. They didn't have that. They just lived their lives, you know. Yeah. And the temptation, you can't really fight temptation if you don't know how temptation really looks. Yeah, that's good. You know, that's good, man. And when you're, and when you're, yeah, and when you're, when you're, when you're in an environment where you're so smothered by the, where you're not smothered, um, kept from the world, and mm-hmm. and all you hear is a lot of finger pointing about the world, you mm-hmm. a become extremely judgmental. Yeah. You know, and then you then you isolate yourself. And then you have no one. And when you're in the military, that's not how you want to live. You gotta yeah. you're living in a you're in an environment where it's all about trusting your brother. It's all about brotherhood and loyalty and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you can't turn your nose on the people because they're smoking a cigarette. Oh my god, you're gonna go mm-hmm. to hell, you smoke. Oh my yeah, god, man. you're drinking, you're gonna go to hell. Oh my god, you're gonna go to hell. Everybody's going to hell. Well who's going to hell? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and yeah. I had to and when I realized that I had all that religious trauma not Christian, not Jesus trauma, religious trauma, 
And then when I mm-hmm. came back home and I saw other young people going through the same thing, I said, okay, um, something got to give. You know, we need yeah. to really help and mentor our, our youth, you know, that want to be Christian, that want to be saved, but they also want to live and enjoy the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. That's so, good. And, and the, so that's, and the that's great thing about what you're doing is you're getting them before they're so heavily indoctrinated. Like, you're getting the youth. Right. So, there's, you know, for, I think it was Frederick Douglass that said uh, it's, it's easier to prepare. What, it's easier to raise whole men versus repair broken men or something to that effect? Right. So that's it's easier, what yeah, you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I've noticed that just from working with the um, with the youth and just talking about real issues that they're going through, you know, without watering it down and letting them have those real experiences without saying, oh, my God, God is going to strike you down tomorrow. You know, it's just not yeah. doing that to them. They can build their own relationship with Christ so they can talk to him for themselves. And I didn't realize until I got older that growing up, I didn't really talk to Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to to people around me who talked to Jesus, and they told me what he said. But I never went yeah. to my own personal relationship. You, you had a proxy. You, you had a Moses. Exactly. You had to go to Moses. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you talked about um, you talked about how you use the ratchet television shows as uh, to kind of just decompress a little bit. What other things uh, do you do for self care? Because you, like you said, your work is really dealing with life and death. Is there anything else? Because I, I imagine as you go into these spaces and people share their stories and you're kind of watching the facial expressions as they realize the weightiness of everything, I imagine that some of that weight you take on. How do you right. keep yourself from being overwhelmed? Well, I, I, you know, I really, I, really, I really use my support circle. I have, a, I have a decent cadre of friends that allows me to vent, that okay. really care about the work I do. Um, and they'll, they'll listen to me vent. They'll listen to me express. They'll listen to me pour out, you know, and shake a lot of that stuff off. Because it's really hard working within marginalized communities, and then you leave, and that person that, that is homeless or that person who is strung out or that person who's been alienated by their family because they're gay or bisexual or whatever, and then you come home to your house, it's like, yeah. how, do I, how do I do this? You know, this yeah. kid is out on the street. You yeah. know, not because they're a bad kid, not because they robbed and sold, but just because they're gay, they're homeless. Yeah. You know, how do, yeah. how do I deal with that? Um, and it's a process. It takes work. It takes yeah. a lot of work to mentally learn how to, to navigate through those kind of situations. So, but I just really man, rely on my friends. You bring up another uh, point that uh, I, did, I wasn't prepared to talk about, but uh, let's try it if you're willing to go okay. there. Um, if you will and I'm willing, let's go. Okay. So, so my, my, uh, my, how I, how I, what am I trying to say? I have, I have been evolving. Like as you age, you know, Paul said when I was a child, I thought I was a child. I'm still as a child. Mm-hmm. I became a man, I put it away, child's thing. And so there are some things that you reconsider, like you look again, right? And so I'm looking at mm-hmm. some of the, um, the, some of the views, the religious views. Because really what I learned about sex, for the most part, was learned in a religious subculture, right? And um, a lot of it was, um, whether explicitly or implicitly, demonizing homosexuals, Uh right? Uh And it was only Uh as I got older, and I said, it was only as I got older that I started to be able to see homosexuals as 
people, man. You know, like, because growing up, you're like, yo, they're sinners or all these other pejorative statements that minimize their humanity. And you don't realize that as you're minimizing somebody else's humanity, you're also minimizing or diminishing your humanity because you 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 uh, dull your ability to see them as fully human. So it costs you some of your mm-hmm. humanity. I, I'm, I'm taking the scenic route to just say I am still wrestling with some things. I have unlearned some things. I have totally uh, let go of some some things that I just don't think are helpful. What are some things you had to unlearn as it relates to dealing with the homosexual community and, and so forth? Uh, that religion may have taught you and you had to unlearn it as you got into the real life space. Like you had to leave the theory, if you will, alone and you had to get up and close and people look eyeball to eyeball. What what are some things you may have had to unlearn? I had to, I had to unlearn that, that being gay isn't about having sex. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think most people go into it, the, the mindset, they think about homosexual, homosexuality, or whatever. The first thing they do is go into the bedroom. You know, yeah. going, they go into somebody's bedroom. And what do you do when you meet a homosexual and the person says, well, I'm celibate. You know, I, I'm not doing right. nothing. I'm, I'm not having sex. I'm single. I'm not dating. I'm not doing, I, I'm trying to go to school. I'm trying to get this. The person will yeah. call the, the person will literally say, well, you're lying. That's not possible. But if a man says he's mm. celibate, heterosexual man says celibate, oh, good for you, bro. God's going to keep you, going to mm. send you the perfect wife, yada, yada, yada. But the That's gay good. guy can't be celibate. It's not believable. And I That's think really that when good. people begin to, if people would step outside of someone's bedroom and see them as a person, as an yeah. individual, you know, yeah. then they'll begin to have better conversations, healthier conversations that are going to really allow them to make, um, to give wise counsel. To someone. Yeah. I think it's I think it's nothing more ignorant than meeting someone who is gay, who has been, let's say, in an abusive relationship, or are they something just traumatic happened in their in their last relationship and you tell them, Well, if you weren't gay, that wouldn't have happened. Really? Yeah. yeah. How, how how is that possible? Because I'm not gay. Because if I was not gay, I wouldn't be having a bad relationship. So heterosexual doesn't have bad relationships? Come on. That doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. You know, right. that, that, and I think that when we begin to see people as people and allow yeah. a person to go through a human experience, then, you know, we'll begin to navigate through this journey called life together better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, that's good. Uh, as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, that's so true that um, I guess in general, heterosexual or homosexual, we are oversexed. Like, I mean, right. man, that's interesting. You said as soon as that someone shares with you that they're homosexual, you immediately go to the bedroom. Like you can't even, or you have to, you have right. to really put forth a lot of effort to separate uh, them from their bedroom experience. That's wow, man. Or you can't, you, yeah. you you don't immediately think that it's plausible that they could be celibate. Man, right, right, right. It's, 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 it's not possible. It's just not possible. What do you mean you're telling me you're not celibate? And I, I did a I did a show about that one time, um, and I had uh, you know a heterosexual man on there who was trying to understand the gay community, and I said, well, you know, I have friends who are gay and they're celibate. Oh no, that's not possible. I'm like, why is it not possible? Because mm-hmm. dude is gay. So because yeah. dude is gay, he has to have sex. Well, yeah, I mean, come on, he's gay. That's what gay dudes do. Okay, yeah. ignorant. You know, yeah. it's that kind of ignorance. But the same way I don't step in your bedroom, you shouldn't step in right. my bedroom. 
You will be right. highly offended if a man walks up to you and says, hey, hey, friend, so I hear you, you, you married now. So which one you want to do in the bedroom? What? Right. Yeah. We go to blow. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, come on, bro, for real? But when somebody yeah. is a gay person, so are you the man or the woman? What are you talking about? Well, what you do in the bedroom? How do you get down? Which one do y'all take you? Well, yeah. what does that got to do with you? That has nothing to do with you. Right, right. But some people yeah. feel that that's a valid and fair way to approach a gay man to find out how, well, how gay are you? Because if you're a receiver, you're really gay. If you're not mm. a receiver, oh, you ain't that, you ain't that gay. You just kind of gay. As long as you ain't, long mm. as you ain't taking it, you ain't, you ain't gay, gay. And none of that has anything and, to do with me. Like, you could be, you could be hyper gay if that's the thing. How does that affect? <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly. that has nothing to do with, as Jay Z would say. You know, uh, the great uh, philosopher Jay Z, Sean Carter would say, uh, "What you eat <laughs> don't make me ish." You know what I mean? Like, right? We exactly. can still Yeah, man. We interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle at Fred Talks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash Fred Talks. Remember, Talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but... When it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks at mail.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. Okay. It's all about it's all about respect. It's all about, all about mutual respect. respect. You know. Yeah. But have you seen people um, kind of evolve in their thinking? Um, have Have you seen them have aha moments? Have you seen people kind of quote unquote repent of some of the uh, harmful ways that they were approached? You know, people in the LGBT uh, community like kind of awaken. You know. Oh yeah. Have, have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, have I what? seen? Um, Heterosexual people evolve to whether they're yeah, heterosexual or whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I see it all the time. All, it all the precipitates. Time. What usually precipitates or, or, or triggers that type of awakening? Is it that they have somebody in the family that kind of comes out, if you will, or what, what happens? Conversations, conversations like this, like we're having right now. Okay, okay. Just flat out conversations and and having having mature conversations with someone who is not going to take offense to the questions asked. Yeah. So, you know, that's good. That's good. So it takes grace, right? Like, like someone from that community would have to be a little gracious with me and I would have to be courageous enough not to 
I would have to muster up the courage to ask some questions. I'd also have to have some diplomacy, right? Because um, right. I can't just be, <laughs> I can't just be pissing on them. You know what I mean? Like I can't just exactly. You know exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And I think that I think that it needs to be it needs to be a respect. I mean, not a respect, an understanding um, from the gay person that the straight person is honestly asking out of a sincere desire to know, mm-hmm. and, and coming from a place of ignorance. You know, mm-hmm. and the gay person, or the, the homosexual person, to be a, a lesbian or transgender, should be mature enough to not take offense if the person is sincerely asking questions to get a clear, clear understanding. But I imagine you it's got to be hard, right? I mean, it's easier it's, it's very hard. hard. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard, but it, I know. It, it, it removes it removes stigma. Yeah, yeah. Like it's necessary. You know, the same way, the uh-huh. Go ahead, sorry, go ahead, man, go ahead. You got, you no, got, you got, gonna, got it. I'm going to say the same way, you know, if a white person talks to a black person and say, you know, I really want to understand the black community. I want to understand what you're going through. I'm never going to be black, and I have yeah. accepted that, but I want to be an ally. I want to have empathy. Tell me, yeah. what is, what do you go through? So if a heterosexual yeah. person goes to a homosexual person and says, you know, I really see what you guys are going through. I'm, I'm not gay. I'm not, I don't fully understand it. But I want to yeah. understand you. I want to understand what your yeah. community is dealing with. And then sit and honestly listen. And then yeah. ask questions that are really going to break down a lot of stigma. Yeah. Most of You're stigma saying exactly what I was about to behavior. say. That yeah. was exactly the analogy I was going to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there you about go. Sexual. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. yeah. So, okay. Here, so let's go with that analogy, right? Because uh, it's so perfect. I, I agree with you. But also a component that comes up is some of these people that are, they're gaslight, right? It looks like Mm -hmm. they start off, it looks like they're sincere. It looks like they're authentic. And then come to find out they got another agenda. They're really trying to pull one over. How do you weed that out? Do you just kind of trust your gut? Um, Do you set some ground rules before the conversation? Uh, Because here's another thing, like these conversations, as you know, they can be triggering, right? They it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's emotional labor, right? Like, I mean, even mm-hmm. when I reached out to, and I said, hey, man, forgive my ignorance. I'm going to ask some questions. I don't, I don't know where I'm going. You know, I'm, I'm woefully ignorant in this area, but I'm sincere. But I might ask something that's triggering. I'm, I'm asking people to relive some trauma. And, you know, um, right. so here's my question. How do, pe- how do people, how does the, maybe the gay person, uh, how do they prepare themselves mentally? And how do you think, uh, what would be some best practices probably that you seen work uh, to weed out the wheat from the chaff, you know, the, the, the real sincere people versus the insincere people. Got you, got you, got you. Well, I, think everybody, I think everybody needs to move at their own pace. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that if, if a person knows that they're not mentally ready to have those kind of conversations, they're not mm-hmm. in position to just have those, those one-offs with someone else is trying to get an understanding, don't do it. Yeah. Just don't do it. It's just like a person, if, if, if you have a family member that was murdered by the police, you're not mm. going to be willing to sit with a cop anytime soon yeah. to talk about how I feel. Yeah, you, you remind me of that trauma. I don't want to sit and talk with you, which is why so many, so many gay men and, and women avoid the black church like a plague because yeah. they have been damaged, bruised, and wounded by clergy pastors, mm-hmm. whatever, up in the church, I'm not going in there. It's a source of contention, you mm-hmm. know, so I'm just going to be spiritual. 
I'm going to have a relationship mm-hmm. with Christ on my own. But I'm not stepping mm-hmm. foot in the sanctuary because folks in there, they don't like me. You know? Yeah. So that wouldn't be the first person that I would invite to a caucus discussing, you know, the LGBT community and the black church and bridging that gap. I'm not going to bring that person. I would bring mm-hmm. a person that was strong enough to talk about their pain, to talk about what they went through, but they've overcome it. If they're still mm-hmm. dealing with that, we would gain no ground because they're talking from a place of hurt. And that hurt will come across as attacking and bashing. If you have a, a sincere, you know, other side, they're like, well, I didn't come to get attacked. I'm trying to help. I and that person's like, well, I don't see you as a helper. I see you as an enemy. I see you as a person holding the gun. Yeah, yeah. I didn't come. You to know, get so attacked. we have to let Man. people be where they are. Right. You know, mm. and there there are a lot of there are a lot of pastors out there who really do want to bridge the gap, create you know better relationships to really understand. But yeah. there's so much hurt that has occurred. You know, just having having those conversations is hard because mm-hmm. there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of trauma, and there's a lot of mistrust. So, the dope part about you though is, man, you um. You're able to navigate in and out of different venues and forums and things like that. So, in in your observation, so I, so let me preface this by saying I, I'm not. I know what you're about to say is not um, going to speak for the whole church, right? But just in your uh-huh. personal observation, do you feel like the church is improving in 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 how they affirm or how they receive or relate to homosexuals, or do you think they are kind of still stuck? They're not moving, they haven't moved forward at all in the last, I don't know, decade. Well, that, that's a tough question because, you know, I can't speak for all churches, all denominations right. or whatever, but I, I do know there has been some forward movement. There's been some positive movement. There has been some, um, there's been some, definitely been some advancement, you mm-hmm. know, and, and those clergy who are trying to make a difference. I think that what has to happen, to be quite honest, is that a lot of the um, old traditionalists have to die. Yeah, and I hate to say that so harshly, but, but they have back. to die out. Yeah, because a mm-hmm. lot of millennials—I'm not gonna say millennials. Some millennials are still rooted in that tradition. A lot of mm-hmm. the Z generation, which are which mm-hmm. are the 12 to 18 year olds now, they are very much more open to having those mm-hmm. conversations. They're they're much more open to really just discussing and dialoguing, and and are more welcoming and embracing. Yeah, you know, which is what I've noticed. A lot of the kids at my, you know, that I work with who are in high school, they have friends who have two moms and two dads. They have mm-hmm. friends who are openly gay or lesbian. You know, they they have that, and it's mm-hmm. it's nothing for them. You know, mm-hmm. but then you have mm-hmm. others who are older who just still see it as just this thing. No, don't touch my child. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I think we have to get yeah. past that. But I do yeah. see the church growing. And getting better. Okay. Okay. That's that's helpful. I remember uh, not too long ago, I was hanging out with one of my partners, and we um, we went to a, like a life group. Uh, it was my first time there, uh, but this was these these were his folks. So, and uh, you know, af- after the whole lesson and everything, we just hanging around, hanging out, and um, I was asking some questions that didn't really sit well with them, and so we got into talking about like eschatology and all this stuff, being in the last days, and you know, my personal. Um, my personal position is that we're not in the last days. I know that doesn't sit well mm-hmm. with everybody, and that's fine, right? But I was mm-hmm. asking them, how are they so sure? And they were talking about because things are getting worse. And I was like, things are getting worse? I said, what's your benchmark? How do you, 
How do you know things are getting <laughs> right. worse? How are you measuring and, it? How are you measuring yeah. it? Yeah. And, you know, I was disheartened, man. Um, their answer was because look at homosexuality. Uh-huh. Look at look at gay marriage. And I said, I said that's mm-hmm. the thing you're going to go to? <laughs> that's, that's the benchmark. Right. That's the benchmark that's right there. We didn't yeah. have chattel slavery, lynching, all this. Right. But that's the indicator that right. man. Right. <laughs> right. Right. We got all kinds of all kinds of everything is happening, but gays are getting the, the butt of it. You know, yeah. gays are the reason why why the world is going down. You know, forget Trump. Right. <laughs> you know, right. just for, for, forget him altogether. You know, right. gays did that. You know, right. it, it, it's disheartening and it makes the work harder. It makes my work yeah. a lot harder. Yeah, but you always need a scapegoat, man. You always need a scapegoat. And, and unfortunately, right. uh, for religious uh, environments and, and, and other places, you know, the homosexual community or LGBT community has been the scapegoat, unfortunately, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, All the time, okay. consistently. Let me ask you this, man. Um, as far as representation is concerned, um, in the line of work that you're in, are black people and I should say black males, are they underrepresented or is there sufficient representation? Because I think representation matters. And if, if representation didn't matter, we wouldn't spend so much on marketing, trying to get certain images in front of people to, you know, push them towards a certain outcome. You know, I think under, it's important. Underrepresented under- 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 in, in the work that I do? The advocacy and education space. Yes. Okay. Okay. Like, like, um, like if, I'm a bl- if I'm a black homosexual male, am I able to see, so, do I have enough people that look like me affirming me or consoling me or walking me through, you know, these spaces and conversations? Okay. No. No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. And, and I, I, can, I, can, I can break it down. So basically, I say no. So, so we're talking about black gay men, I'm assuming, because I work with black uh, gay men, and okay. you know, that's who I work with. I'm just going to okay. say, from from, my, from for black gay men, young black gay men, who was my target demographic at work, you know, 18, 29, as far as allies, help, and all that, no, there there is no there's no mentorship, there's very limited guidance and all that. There's also no allegiance because anytime a heterosexual man befriends a gay man. The heterosexual man is accused of being closeted or on the down low. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, always, always mm-hmm. happens. But you ever notice that if you ever notice that if a gay man and a straight man are best friends, the straight man is accused of being in the closet. The gay man right. is accused of being a straight. Right. You know right. they they, ne- they never yeah. say that. You know, and because of that stigma, most heterosexual men they can honestly do great work with these young men that I mentor or that I'm with don't give the time of day because they don't want their, their name or their brand associated with something gay because of the stigma. Yeah. So, yeah. so you have a lot of young men who are not, who are not affirmed in their truth. And then they'll take on a full identity and end up marrying women, you know, and then they mm. have these double lives because they were never affirmed as a gay man. Mm. They were never supported in who they are. And they're being taught that the only way you can get ahead within the black community is to be a black heterosexual masculine man, because anything mm-hmm. other than that is a disgrace to the black community. Mm-hmm. If you notice, 
if you notice, when it comes to same-sex relationships, how many black same-sex couples do you know that are famous? I don't know many. None. None. But I got to be and honest, black, though. I, I got to be honest that I'm just not as in- informed, period, though, right? But there aren't mm-hmm. any big names that come to my mind, though. But I'm, I'm woefully uninformed. And I'm not, you know, right. that's not something I'm saying, like, with a badge of honor. I'm, I'm just, I'm catching up, you know? No, I, I totally, I totally get that. I totally get mm-hmm. that. And then I'm going to add this. I want you to think about this. When you do mm-hmm. hear about an openly gay African-American, mm-hmm. usually their counterpart is white. Fact. Yeah, for sure. Usually. So, so imagine being a, a young man, a young man who is growing up, knows that he's gay, wants to be in love one day, wants to have a, a one-on-one monogamous relationship, but he never sees himself. He feels the only way he can have a healthy relationship is to get with a white man. Because man, the that's images a whole other can of worms, man. whole other can of worms. So the images yeah. that he has of a successful same-sex relationship is interracial. Yeah. Which is unfair. And it spreads Ooh. all kind of confusion and it, it makes these guys feel like they just do not matter and they're not valuable. They're not valued. Mm. And it's, it's okay. unfortunate. Before yeah. you get to, this, this is all good, man. Let me interject. You said something else, and you got my wheels turning. So you talked about um, them not being affirmed in their masculinity. And you talked about how, you know, um, you know uh, uh, straight men um, – they, they they try to create some distance or they're not openly befriending or openly with uh, their partner. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how we define masculinity? What does is, what is healthy masculinity look like? Because I think we have, I think masculinity becomes toxic when it's narrowly defined, mm-hmm. when it's only one type of expression. Hey, look, I know. I know this episode has you on the edge of your seat or maybe even in your feelings a little bit. And I hate to pause it right here, especially so abruptly, but I want to make sure that you have time to sit with it, sit with what you've heard so far. You have time to process it and that you pick it up what we're laying down. So let's pause right here and then we'll pick it up uh, next time for part two. And just like that, it's a wrap. Another episode for the archives. Do you like it? Do you feel it though? Did anything resonate with you? Did it motivate you? So now what? What are you going to do about it? What's your next move? Share your thoughts by emailing fredtalx at mail.com or connect on Twitter at fredtalks, spelled fredtalx. Tune in next time for some more gems.